0: Good morning. I want to say just a, a brief word of prayer while we start. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, these are crazy times, and we want to begin by worshiping you and thanking you for your mercies that you make new every day. Lord, I pray that you would extend mercy to us as a church, as a community, as a nation, and as a world. I pray that you would help us to fix our hope firmly in Jesus Christ to take our comfort in him, to give that comfort to other people. And I pray that you would give us strength and endurance to faithfully serve you in this time, in this place. ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to say just a brief word of thanks for your prayers. I am feeling a lot better and uh, hopefully within a couple of days I'll be back serving at the church. You probably have noticed that I am not at my house right now. Uh, This setting, uh, the parks are open, and you're encouraged to go bike and and run, and uh, Chris and I, I don't think, have gotten within six feet of each other, so we should be good as far as that goes. And, uh, this setting is very fitting for the message that I want to preach, and it's my hope and my prayer that it will be encouraging to you and comforting to you and helpful to you. I also want to say a word of thanks to the, those who have given so sacrificially. Uh, many of you have begun giving online, and that has been helpful to us as a church. We want to continue to be faithful in worshiping through giving and also recognize that this is a very difficult time for many people who are laid off or who have had reduced income. And so if you are in need, uh, feel free to contact the church. Uh, our food ministries are going full force uh, and actually have really expanded over the past couple of weeks. And not only that, uh, we'd like to be able to assist you just in any way that we can. So if you, if you have a need, feel free to contact the church. As we look to the the Word, I want to encourage you to be thinking about what Christian hope says in a time like this, in a time of a global pandemic. And I want to, before I go there, uh, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 8. I want to encourage you to to have your Bibles open. Uh, In fact, jumping into the book of Romans and going straight to the 8th chapter is probably a criminal offense. The first seven chapters are so critical, and I want to encourage you this week, maybe take a chapter a day and read and find out all that God says leading up to this amazing chapter that offers so much encouragement and hope in a time like this. But I want to go to Romans 8 because Romans 8 helps us understand if you believe that God gives us salvation now. That if we have eternal life available to us through Jesus Christ, why is it that we still suffer? Why is it that we still get sick? Why is it that we die? You know, the scriptures teach very clearly the wages of sin is death, and it also teaches... That the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and that you receive that life by faith when you trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. When you follow him in obedience and believers baptism and begin to follow him as a Christian, that life starts immediately. So if your sins have been forgiven and if, if your debt has been paid, why is it that you still suffer the consequences of sin and the curse? Why is it that you still get sick? Why is it that you still die? Well, I believe that question is answered in Romans 8 by very carefully hearing what God says to believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe that idea is new or strange to you. Maybe you've heard it and you've just said that that seems crazy before. It's my hope that you'll recognize why Christians love Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. And so it's my prayer that even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that you would listen to what God says in his word very carefully right now. So I believe a careful attention to this chapter will do four things for us. Number one, it will prepare us to suffer as Christians. Jesus said very clearly that in this world, you will have trouble. And then he said, don't be afraid because he has overcome the world. Well, if you're going to live your life in faith rather than fear, you need to know how to suffer as a Christian. And I think paying attention to this chapter will help you suffer as a Christian. Number two, I believe that it will help you receive the love that our Father God has for us as his dear children. The scripture so plainly teaches that God loves us specifically as his kids. But many of us feel like God is distant, that God is unloving, or perhaps that God is even angry. And so a careful attention to this chapter understands how in the midst of suffering, we can still recognize and and celebrate the fact that God is a father who loves us. Thirdly, it will empower you to serve other people the way Jesus sacrificially served us when he gave his life for us. And then finally, I believe that this chapter maybe more than any other chapter of the Bible, will give you a precious hope for the future that cannot be taken away from you, even on your deathbed. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, please open it and please follow along with me. I'm going to begin in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And to start with, I'm going to read 11 verses, which is a little bit of a lot of text, but we need to see it all together if we're going to understand what it means for us. So Paul says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God." You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now I want to pay careful attention to these verses because Paul addresses something that it doesn't seem to go together he says we're alive and dead at the same time he says very clearly We are alive because of the spirit of God that we receive by faith. Scripture teaches that we receive the spirit of God when we hear the word of God and respond in obedient belief. So Paul in Galatians describes how he preached the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And the hearers of that message believed it and obediently followed the Lord in baptism, which means that they trusted that Christ's death was for them and that they would benefit from his resurrection. That's what the symbolism of baptism means. And that as they responded by hearing with faith, that they received the gift of the Spirit. And if you have believed in Christ Jesus and responded with faith, you also have received the gift of the Spirit. And so you are alive by the spirit that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. And it might seem like a strange thing to talk about, but up to this point in Romans, Paul has talked about how all of us, whether we are good people or obviously bad people, all of us are sinners and all of us are under the wrath of God because of our sin, deserving to be separated from him for all of eternity. But Paul says very clearly that Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, that he never sinned. And because he never sinned, he could be our sacrifice for us. And so he died on the cross in our place, taking the wrath of God for us and giving us his life when we receive it by faith. So you are alive if you've received the Spirit of Christ Jesus, because his righteousness is given to you and you benefit from that. But what Paul also says is that we are dead in our fleshly bodies so the two things exist at the same time notice verse 10 very specifically if christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness so the body that you have right now is still subject to the curse it's still going to get old it will still get sick unless jesus returns one day it will die in fact there's an amazing passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, and it clearly shows there, there's only two ways out of this body that gets sick and that dies. One of them is through the possibility of dying. And then your soul goes to be with the Lord. And one day you will return with him and he will resurrect your body and you'll never get sick again. But the other one is the possibility that Christ will return. And this is how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I tell you this brothers, Flesh and blood, in other words, your body in its weakness, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In other words, Paul is clearly teaching that although you have the Spirit of God, and although your sins are forgiven you have not received this promise yet. There is a future time when death shall be swallowed up in victory and you shall be changed so that you will never get sick and never suffer again. But right now, right now, the scripture says that we groan. The scripture says that we suffer. In fact, if you paid attention, in just a moment, Paul is going to say that every Christian will suffer and that faithful suffering is what guarantees that we will reap the future benefits of salvation so paul says not only do we have life through the spirit but that we will suffer in the spirit so pay attention with me to verses 12 through 17 paul says so then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Now, there are a couple things that I want to point out to you. I I heard a preacher this past week claim that because Christ bore our sufferings on the cross, that God didn't want Christians to experience suffering in this life. And that directly contradicts the clear teaching of the scripture that we just read. Paul says that we will be fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. So if you don't suffer with him, you're not an heir. That means that you won't inherit the blessings that come along with Christ's perfect righteousness and obedience. So Paul says that you will suffer. Well, how do you who have been made alive with the Spirit suffer as a Christian. Why would God call you to do that? What does it do in your life? Paul says there are a couple of things. Uh, The reality is suffering tempts you to live life in the flesh. And and Paul uses that word a lot in the book of Romans. Uh, The flesh is what comes naturally to you. Some people live in the flesh by trying to be a good person and they're very proud of their good deeds and they're very proud of the fact That from the outside, they look like they have it together, and they're generous, and they're kind, and they give. And inside, though, they are separated from God, and they are very proud because everything they've done, they've done on their own, by themselves. Paul says very clearly, there's no one who is actually righteous before God. We can pretend for a little while, we can put on a good show, but the truth of the matter is, if you are depending on your own works to please God, you will fail. And you will be an object of God's wrath. So Paul says, the the flesh tries very hard to please God. And when you suffer, your flesh may double down and try even harder. You may say, look, I got knocked down, but I got back up again. You may say, look, I got sick, but in my strength, I got better. Your flesh, you may be proud of the fact that you're a healthy person, that you eat right, that you exercise. And so if you get sick and you come back, you say, look at what I did. Look at what I did in my own strength. But that's living life in the flesh, not as a debtor to the spirit, not recognizing that you needed God to give you life, but trying to live in your own strength. And that's one way that people try to live in the flesh. Some of us have no hope of trying to succeed even for a little while or even looking good. Many people who live in the flesh do the exact opposite. They try to to please themselves, whether it's with food or, or whether it's with some kind of immorality. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but many people go the opposite direction. They don't even pretend to have it together. They abuse different substances. That they, they, they walk in the opposite direction so that they think that the best thing you can do in this life is to just enjoy it while it lasts because you have no future hope. Well, that flesh of pleasing your desires constantly wars with the spirit of God because you will be tempted again and again to live life according to the flesh and when you suffer those types of people say man I, I'm just gonna drink all I can right now because I don't know what's gonna happen and you turn to substance abuse to kind of numb your pain a little bit and so that sort of flesh also distances you from God but there is another way The reality is that temptation and suffering does not have to distance you from God, but instead it can actually draw you closer to God. So there are a couple of things that happen in this text if you want to be a faithful follower of Jesus through suffering. Number one, Paul says very clearly that by the Spirit you can put to death the deeds of the body. So that when you are tempted to do something in your own strength, you remember what God has said and instead you claim the promises of God found in the Bible by the Spirit of God and you confess your sin and receive forgiveness. And that works if you are the type of person that you turn to substances and you say, man just in this time of weakness, man I just need something to help me get through just to numb the pain. If you're that kind of person you resist the flesh by not drinking or or by not smoking a joint or by something like that and instead you say i'm going to spend some time confessing my needs to the heavenly father and asking him for spiritual strength praying that he gives me more of his holy spirit so that i can live the christian life obediently so that i can follow after my savior so that the righteousness that he's given me is active in my life so paul says that we put the deeds of the body to death by the spirit Not only that, the Spirit leads us to admit our sin before God and to find the forgiveness that we experience through the blood of Jesus. And he leads you to love other people the way Christ did, putting the needs of other people before yourself. So the the Spirit leads you to put the death, the deeds of the flesh. The Spirit leads you to confess your sin. And then perhaps the most important thing that this passage in Romans shows us is that the Spirit leads us to call God our Father. Now, I don't know what your personal home life was like if you had a father that you loved and you admired and he was a good dad or maybe you had a father who was a terrible father and he was abusive or maybe you didn't even know your father at all. And if that's you, this may be harder to appreciate except in this sense. If you've been deeply hurt by your dad, you have a sense that something is horribly wrong in you. And the father that you never had is something that you perhaps long for, that you wish that you'd had. And this passage is telling you that God is that father. He is the provider. He is the one who protects you. He is the one who loves you. And in fact, if you can imagine a, a dad just playing with a small child and having the delight— one of the, one of my favorite things. I love to pick my kids up, and and we live in a trailer with low ceilings, so it's very easy. All I have to do is just hold them just above my head, and I can bonk their heads on the ceiling, and they giggle and they love it, and I delight in playing with my kids because they're adorable and be, because. That they're part of our life and our family. And if I have that delight as a human dad, this text is saying God has that kind of delight in you. Now, here's the deal. In our flesh, in, in our natural way of life, we don't believe that about God. Many of us believe that God is distant. Maybe that you believe that God is powerless and he just can't control suffering and evil in, in life. Many of us believe that because of the things that we've done that God is angry with us. But the life of the spirit, when the spirit is active in your heart, the spirit does two things. It helps you pray to God and from your direction, it tells you that you can call God father, that God is your father, that you have all of the rights and privileges, that he loves you. And you can make requests of him because he is a good father. And then from the other direction, from God's direction, the spirit also wraps you in in love and in assurance tells you that God treats you as his own child. So he assures you that you are God's child. And even in the midst of your suffering with Christ in this life, you have the assurance of the spirit of God that God is your father and he loves you. So not only do we have life by the spirit Not only are we called to suffer in the spirit. Here's the question. If we've been forgiven and promised this life, even if it's future, what do we do right now? What do we do as people are suffering, as infection rates are soaring, and as people are dying and people are tired and we're getting called up to volunteer and there's fear of catching it, even just in going to the grocery store that you might take it home to your family. How do you function when there's so much fear and anxiety? Well, I believe the next part is absolutely key. Sometimes we groan in the Spirit. So we are alive in the Spirit, we suffer in the Spirit, and sometimes we groan in the Spirit. And I want to encourage you to look with me at verses 18 through 30. Paul says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing Look, this passage clearly says all of creation groans. And I'm in a gorgeous setting right now. This is one of the most beautiful days we've had all year. But even here, if you look around me, the the trees are dead from last year. Spring has not come yet. There's no life here. And if you pay enough attention as you walk around trails, sometimes you see dead animals. Sometimes you see the, the harsh realities of a nature where death and decay are a part of this existence right now. Paul says all creation groans under that curse, that it was not made to be like this. And not only does all creation groan, but you and I groan now. And sometimes Christians are very quick to offer answers for why suffering happens. And I believe the biblical response that we first must have is we ought to groan and weep with those who weep. We ought to recognize that the pain that people experience is excruciating. Jesus wept at the tune of a man he loved and he was about to raise from the dead. And he didn't minimize grief. He didn't tell people, stop crying, dry your tears, I'm going to fix this. He wept with them. And I believe sometimes if you have the life of the Spirit, if you have learned to follow the Lord and you have learned to suffer with the Lord and trust him as your father, sometimes you need to stop and be still and grieve the things that are happening around you. Grieve the evils of child abuse. And one of the things that I'm hearing about now is that as people are stuck in their homes, substance abuse is skyrocketing. Domestic violence and abuse is skyrocketing. And there are victims who are suffering right now. And we ought to fall on our knees and beg God for help and deliverance. And we ought to mourn the evil that is taking place now. And so I want to urge you, we groan in our bodies now because we are still subject to this curse. We've not received the full promises of God yet. We wait to be made new. And in this groaning, we have the help of the Spirit of God. And Many of us say, you know, I'm not very good at prayer. And all of us have room to grow. But as you hear about things in the news that cause you fear, Turn that fear and anxiety into a request. Maybe you know someone who's a victim of abuse, but if you don't, pray for those who are. Pray that God would rescue them, that the abuse would stop. Pray that they would have hope of healing in Christ Jesus. Pray that there would be a future for victims and abusers alike. Pray that in this time, when people are physically sick, that, that God would have mercy and that they would be healed and get well. And, and pray also that as we are in a time of national suffering, that we would be grieved by our own sinfulness, that we would turn from it and recognize that we have not kept God's law, that we are objects of wrath and we need his mercy now more than ever. And so I want to urge you, if you recognize that you need the life of the Spirit, if you've learned to suffer in the Spirit, and if you are groaning by the Spirit, that you also can have future hope That there will be new life and that you are inseparable from the Spirit. So if we groan and if we wait with patience and if we pray in our brokenness and if we trust that the Spirit prays according to God's will and if we have confidence that we will one day be glorified, then let's rest in the present reality that nothing can separate us from the Spirit of God that is doing these things in us. Paul ends this chapter this way. What then shall we say to these things? And he's talking about all of the suffering that he's been contemplating in this chapter. He says, if God is for us, Who can be against us? And he knows that God is for us because Christ Jesus has met the righteous requirements of the law. And if you have trusted him as your savior, then God is for you, no matter what happens in your present life. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying as powerfully as he can that God loves you. He has demonstrated his love for you in the cross of Jesus Christ. Even if you suffer in the present. And the people that he was writing to were literally being fed to lions. And not only that, the ancient world was not exempt from terrible plagues where people were sick and dying. And Paul is writing these words. He says that nothing in all creation, verse 39, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Is that your hope today? I pray that it is. You know, maybe as you've listened to this, you're not sure that you have this kind of peace with God through Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I would encourage you to do two things. Number one, I would encourage you to say a prayer right now and say, God, I don't understand it all, but I understand that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Would you forgive me? Would you give me the life that your word is talking about? And as you do that, I want to encourage you with the words of of Christ in scripture, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can take comfort in that and you can take encouragement in that. But the second thing I would encourage you to do is commit to being baptized. Scripture makes it clear that that is how you publicly say, I belong to Jesus. I believe his death was for me and I believe that he will raise me up to new life no matter what happens in this life. And so I want to encourage you to do both of those things. And maybe you're a believer. Maybe this is old news, but maybe you're living in fear. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, commit to spending some time daily in prayer. Rely on the Spirit of God to groan even when you don't have words to express your grief. I want to urge you to pray faithfully. And not only that, as we have opportunities to love our neighbors by going and getting groceries, by making some phone calls, I want to encourage you to faithful service. I want to encourage you to trust one another To love each other, even in a time when so many people are afraid. And as we do that, I believe that we will reap all of the benefits that God gives us through His precious Spirit, which can never be taken away. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, first, I just want to thank you for this passage of Scripture. I thank you for its powerful encouragement. More than that, I thank you for the Spirit of God that opens our eyes, that applies it to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for the sins of fear, for our failure to love one another, and I pray that you would lead us in joyful obedience, that we would rest in these promises, that we would hope in Christ and the resurrection, and that we would spread that hope and that joy now, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.